Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. This is the lesson that God wants everybody to learn, that the Most High is sovereign. So we use that term sovereign. It's used very specifically, sometimes theologically. There's certain Christians that are going to talk a lot about the sovereignty of God. But the idea is that God rules over all, that there's nothing out from under his control, ultimately. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Daniel chapter 4. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so here we are, Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4 is, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I mean, every time I read it, I, it just, it's so powerful. It is, I mean, it, it's really one of the greatest conversion stories in, in all of history. I mean, this is, basically what this is, is this is King Nebuchadnezzar, who, we'll just put it in our terms, he gets saved, and then he writes a gospel tract to the whole world <laughs> to tell him. He, he writes out his testimony about what the great God did for him. And so it is just so fascinating. And there's many little nuggets in here as we make our way through. So we're, we're going to make our way through the story. And as we do, we'll pause and you know, talk about a few things as we, as we move along here. So King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Now, just remember, I'll talk a little bit more about this as we go through, but remember, this guy was a tyrant, to say the least. This guy, he was a general, under his father, who was the king. And he was this brilliant military mind and this very capable soldier who conquered the known world. And so, you know, he wasn't, I would imagine, he wasn't a warm and fuzzy sort of a guy. But right here in the very beginning, you, you can sense, if you know his background, you can sense like, oh, wait, what? No, this is different. I mean, he's wishing us well. He's desiring our prosperity. That's different for a person like Nebuchadnezzar. And so he goes on, he says, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Wow, the Most High God has performed for me. Now, most of you guys have been with us since we started Daniel, but let's just refresh our memories. So we go back to, to chapter two, and that's where we first really kind of meet Nebuchadnezzar. He's mentioned in chapter one, but we meet him in chapter two where he has that dream and he's troubled by the dream and he... He commands all of his wise men to 
give him the interpretation of the dream, but then he says, not only are you going to have to interpret it, you're going to have to tell me what it was so I know that you're not trying to fool me. And remember the story, of course, none of them could do that. They said, this is completely unreasonable. No king has ever asked anything like this. And he said, well, that may be true, but unless you tell me the dream, I'm going to put you all to death. And then so Daniel enters the picture, Daniel tells him the dream, and then Daniel interprets the dream. But remember, in the dream, he saw this image. He saw this this large image that was made, an image of a man that was made of gold and silver and bronze and iron. And as the interpretation came, he was the head of gold. And as the interpretation unfolded, what he was being told was that his empire was going to pass. He was the head of gold, but his empire would fade and another empire would take its place, the arms and the chest of silver. And so he has, he realizes that that this young man, Daniel, who's interpreted the dream, he, he has a connection with God. He realizes that this was a divine revelation to him. But after some time passes, and maybe the the wonder of of all of that experience kind of wears off, he apparently is rethinking it and thinking, no, my my kingdom's going to go on. I, I I don't like this vision. And so he creates an image, and he has it set up in the plain of Dura, and it's 90 feet tall and about 10 feet wide, and it's made of pure gold. And it's his statement that my kingdom is not going to pass. My kingdom is going to be, I'm here to stay, and my my descendants after me are here to stay. And then remember the story, of course, that um, he commanded everybody to bow down and worship the image, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Daniel's friends did not do it. They were cast into the fiery furnace. So once again, he has a, a reminder of the fact that there is a God above him because he would see himself as a God. So now, as we come to the fourth chapter, he tells us kind of what happened in the next phase of this process, really, that God has brought him into, the process that will ultimately lead to his conversion. And so... But he speaks in such interesting terms when he talks about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. Now, just a a note, the Most High, that title for God is going to be used in this chapter six times. This is the first appearance, six times. And what it's referring to, obviously, is the absolute sovereignty of this God. The, the God of the Bible is the most high. There's, there's none greater, there's none higher. He is the most high God. Now, Nebuchadnezzar came from a polytheistic world that believed in many gods. And, of course, the Babylonians had their god, Nebu, or Marduk, who was their 
chief God, but here he is, by using the term God most high or the most high, he's acknowledging the supremacy of the God of the Hebrews over the Babylonian gods. So verse three, speaking of this God, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So we see here a burst of praise, really, from Nebuchadnezzar toward the true God. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. I had a dream that made me afraid. I doubt that Nebuchadnezzar had ever been afraid. Oh, he might have been afraid, but I'm absolutely certain he never would have told anybody that. So, so even in, in this communication early on, you see already this, this is a changed man. This is a guy who made you know, kingdoms shake and crushed everyone under his feet. And he's saying, I had this dream and I was, I was really afraid. You could see the, the softening of his heart. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So it's interesting to me how, you know, just in these cultures, they're, the people of these cultures are so deeply connected to their idolatry. So he's still, on the one hand, identifying as having a connection with the Babylonian gods, but he's at the same time acknowledging that this Daniel, he has the spirit of the holy gods. So he's, he's making the distinction between the Babylonian gods and Daniel's god. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here's my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger or a watcher. It's more literally a watcher. There was a holy one, a watcher coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, 
cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let, notice this change right here. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. So the image is a tree. He's talking about the tree. And then all of a sudden he shifts to a human reference. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal or a beast till seven times pass by for him. The decision is announced by watchmen. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So this is the, this is the lesson that is going to be learned by Nebuchadnezzar. And for all of those watching or hearing, this is the lesson that God wants everybody to learn, that the Most High is sovereign. So we use that term sovereign some of you who maybe, you know, have been around a long time and heard it over and over again, you understand what it means. It's, it's used very specifically, sometimes theologically. People, there, there's certain Christians that are going to talk a lot about the sovereignty of God. But the idea is, is that God rules over all. That there's nothing out from under his control, ultimately. And this is one of those doctrines, if you will. This is a teaching of the Bible that I know for myself has, has been extremely helpful and extremely comforting over the years. And, and sometimes I've even used the terminology where uh, I would find myself just falling back into the arms of God's sovereignty. Just, just recognizing that, that the Lord really is in control. And, and if I don't know that, if I don't understand that, then I am gonna go through life troubled, fearful, anxious, angry, all of those kinds of emotions and more. If, if I don't understand, no, wait, wait, God is in control. Now, I, I know I told this story, but I don't remember if I told it recently. But Paul was in prison. Paul was in prison under the authority of Caesar Nero. But Paul did not 
look at his imprisonment as Nero's decision. He looked at it as God's decision. And so when he looked at it as God's decision, he could basically say, God put me here. Paul knew God could get him out of there quite easily. But he reasoned, falling back into the sovereignty of God, I'm in prison. It must be that God has put me here. And so rather than be angry, rather than be anxious, rather than be frustrated, rather than be discouraged, it was then like, okay, Lord, well, here I am. What do you want to do? Who am I a prisoner of? I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. <laughs> and this is something, like I said, if we get a hold of this in our lives, this will be so helpful to just recognize, you know, God allows things at times that we don't like, things that we don't think are the way it should be done. But God wants to remind all of us at times that he is sovereign, that he rules in the heavens. That it's not, you know, we, we think that we're the ones who are moving and shaking and making everything happen here. No, God is in control. And so with Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, his, his problem was he thought that Babylon was the result of his greatness. That's what he thought. But here, notice what it says. It says that the Most High, sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So, the message to Nebuchadnezzar is, Nebuchadnezzar, you're not as great as you think you are. <laughs> this is not, you are not the explanation for Babylon's greatness. This is what God's saying. I'm the explanation for Babylon's greatness. You're nothing. I, I set over kingdoms the lowliest of people. You, you couldn't have done this unless I allowed you to do it. That's the message that is being brought home to Nebuchadnezzar. So, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, my lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and the meaning to your adversaries. You know, this is interesting because you, you're seeing here that there is a relational connection between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And I think clearly what Daniel is, Daniel is 
he's not happy about the interpretation of the stream. He's like, oh, king, this should be for your enemies, not for you. And you see a tenderness here. Now, I think that's clearly what the text is implying. Some commentators that I've read have just absolutely rejected that idea. Daniel never would have had sympathy for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was wicked. He was an idolater. Daniel would have been, he would have been full of rejoicing inside that now Nebuchadnezzar was going to get what he deserved. Those Bible commentators, I think, should have spent a little more time in the class on Grace 101. (laughs) But seriously, I I read commentaries where they've just, you know, there's no way Daniel had sympathy for Nebuchadnezzar. That's ridiculous. He would have never had that. No, he did. He's a human being. And Nebuchadnezzar has become somebody that he evidently cares about. And so his... Just, I, this should be for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger or a watcher coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Wow. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed It may be that then your prosperity will continue.
For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin. Although the holiday season can be filled with fond memories from childhood or the prospect of more to come, the holiday season can also be one of the most difficult times of the year. The longing for those we miss can intensify, or the loneliness felt throughout the year can be amplified. Whether the holiday season brings you excitement or dread, Rebecca McLaughlin will introduce you to the man born 2,000 years ago and explain the significance of his birth for you today. She will deal with the incredible claims of Christianity and will help you see that it is perhaps more important than you think. The book is Christmas Unbelievable, Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.